0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I had the incredible privilege in 2017 of being in Jerusalem and visiting the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which contains both the sort of mostly historically acknowledged site of the crucifixion and the mostly historically acknowledged site of the resurrection. And our group went, but we didn't have time to go to the edicule, the place of resurrection, where I would be able to see and touch the tomb of Jesus. So I went back another day in the afternoon. I was ready to commit as much time as necessary to do this. figure if I can wait in line for an hour and a half to ride Space Mountain— I can take whatever time it needs to see the tomb of Jesus. I wanted to be there, like Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women. I wanted to see the miracle, not as surprising or frightening to me as it was to them that first Easter morning of the empty tomb. What would God reveal to me in such a holy place? But a weird thing happened in line. There I was, with Christians speaking all sorts of different languages from all nations of the world, all focused on the holiest place in our tradition. And people were pushing. I was getting elbowed. And some people were cutting in line. I was filled with righteous anger feeling like there should be a special place in hell for all these people who would cut in line to see the tomb of Jesus. In my mind, not out loud, I called them some not nice names. And angrily, I thought, Jesus died for these people? And that's what caught me. The voice, as if from God, said, Yes, Jennifer, Jesus died for these people. As obnoxious as they were, and some of them were pretty obnoxious, I got elbowed a bunch of times, Jesus died and rose for them. And as arrogant, as obnoxious as I was and am, standing in line to see an empty tomb of Jesus and mentally raining down nasty names upon my neighbors, Jesus died and rose for me, too. Jesus rose and died for all of us, no matter our sins and imperfections and frailty. And so all of us get to go today with Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women and come to that empty tomb And discover something unexpected. And when I was a few spaces from the front, and a procession came by, further delaying our entry into the tomb of Christ, a few women desperately asked me if they could go ahead of me in line, because they had a plane to catch, and they didn't know it would take so long to see the tomb of Jesus, and they didn't want to have come so close and missed it. And I said, of course, go ahead of me. That divine revelation of compassion for my neighbors landed and stuck, and it bore a little bit of fruit before I even got to the tomb. Now, the women in the gospel today, of course, don't just go to the tomb. You know, they, they do go, and they meet the angels, and they hear this perplexing news that, that just like Jesus told them while they were in Galilee, he has been raised, and, and why do you look for the living among the dead? And I love what the angel tells them while they're there, that that they, the women, need to remember what Jesus told them. Jesus explained all this before his death, but it didn't make sense then. The women don't show up at the tomb expecting to find it empty, expecting to find a risen Jesus, even though he told them that that's what would happen. But once they have seen the empty tomb and the angels and they have heard the angels connect for them Jesus' words and what their own eyes are seeing, they come to believe. But then they go back and they tell the other male apostles what they have experienced Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So we have three named women, plus other unnamed women, testifying to what they have seen and experienced. But the guys don't believe them. Even though they know these women... They probably love these women. They have traveled with them for months or years with Jesus and lived in community with them. But still, they think everything these women are telling them is an idle tale. Jesus gone? Angels saying that he's been raised? Fulfillment of what Jesus said in Galilee? I mean, maybe Jesus did say something like that, but it didn't make sense then and it doesn't make sense now. They do not accept the women's testimony as true. They do not believe. We are in a moment right now in our nation and our world where how you come to believe in something, how you come to understand and discern truth, and who you believe, is a point of fracture, right? Obstruction, not obstruction. Immigrants are overrunning America. Immigrants are the backbone of America. Guns keep people safe. Guns are dangerous. Climate change is an idle tale. Climate change is an existential threat. I could go on all day. We don't all seem to be working from the same set of facts. I wish the answer were as simple as just believe the women the first time. But it's not. A meme went around the internet a while ago of a cartoon image. There were two people looking down at a number from opposite sides, and one of them looking at the number said six, and the other one looking from the other side said nine. And the caption said something along the lines of how there is no single truth, everything depends upon your perspective. A corrected version of that cartoon made the rounds a few days later, crossing out the caption with something like these words, Someone wrote that number, intending it to be either a six or a nine. So look around. Are there other numbers? What's the context? There's probably a way to orient yourself to tell which way is up. Not everything is a matter of perspective. There are still things that are true. And there are still things that are false. The male apostles are wrong when they do not believe that Jesus has been raised, because Jesus has been raised. But you know what? Even though he thought it was an idle tale, it got Peter to get up and run to the tomb. Peter didn't believe it, but he went anyway, because maybe it was true. That idle tale sparked his curiosity and it made him seek his own path to faith. And we know that the other apostles came to faith, too, step by step. There is a difference between a six and a nine. There is a difference between Jesus has been raised and Jesus is dead. But if we are curious, if we open our eyes, if we seek the truth, we can find it. Lord, may we always be blessed with the curiosity of Peter. And when we are skeptical, seek to go where you call us, that we may come to believe. And where we are right, continue to hold fast to the truth, to proclaim boldly, he has been raised. But where we are wrong, be willing to change our minds and our hearts, humbly. I do wonder if any of the male disciples ever apologized to the women For not believing them the first time. Jesus died and rose for all of us. He died and rose for those who are born with the gift of faith and who come to belief early and easily. He died and rose for those who find it hard to believe and are skeptical and have to find their own path, which may be long and arduous and take a long time. He died and rose for those who do not yet believe. And perhaps part of the gift of the Easter story in Luke's gospel, in how Jesus' friends come to believe in the resurrection one by one or in small groups, is to remind us that that those who believe differently from us are still beloved children of God. Jesus died and rose for those people, just as Jesus died and rose for us. And having faith in that— Having faith that the person who sees a different truth than I do is beloved of God and redeemed by God. That might be the hardest thing of all to have faith in right now. But that is the Easter message. Jesus died for these people. For you, for me, for all. Amen.